Father, we thank you. We commit the coming year into your hands. Father, help us always not to run ahead in terms of operating in whatever we think is right, for we read in the book of Judges that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, but you kept having to bring judgment upon them to awaken them to, wait a minute, (laughs) here is the way you should go. And Father, we just pray that you would help us, for we are fallen people, just just like Israel of old and and the Jewish people today and uh, and all believers. We need to be reminded to keep our eyes on you. And so, Father, we just pray that you would lead us into the new year, help us to be aware and to be seeking and, uh, and to be studying your word that we might be wise and, and open to the prompting and the leading of the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. And so, Father, we just seek you for this coming year and just pray as we take hold of the word now, going back thousands, over 2,000 years ago, and yet the lesson is as fresh uh, for us today as it was for those involved then. And so we seek you that you would speak to us through your word. Amen. Our Christmas series this year has been The Surprise Child, and you might think, well, it's past Christmas. But there's one event we include in Christmas um, that didn't happen at Christmas. Okay? It's, you know, you're so familiar with the shepherds and the three wise men. Well, the three wise men didn't happen at the birth of Jesus. I'll touch on it as we get into the message. It happened a little bit later. And uh, so we're going to share uh, from there. So our title this morning is The Surprising Visitors. And we're going to turn to Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Oops, too quick. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, Report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east 
went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. So we've looked at each of the uh, key, some of the key folks involved and the surprise that the birth of Jesus was to them. This time we have surprising visitors. Most unlikely, in a book written to Jews, by a fellow Jew, albeit he was a tax collector formerly working for the Romans, we get this account which includes the fact that Gentile visitors, visitors of some note, come to see him. And not only come to see the child, but they come to worship him. You know, one, one of the problems that we have 2,000 years on is that we tend to, can tend to have a Christmas card view of Jesus. It's kind of all pretty and folksy and, and the reality was much more plain and uh, down to earth and humble. Ivor Powell said this, the fantasy of the modern Christmas card, and this was written some time ago, has destroyed the true meaning of the events of Bethlehem. It is well that we remember there were no fairy lights and no brilliantly decorated trees. You know, it's possible to know the truth and still get it wrong. When you have knowledge, what ought you to do with it? Well, Proverbs 1.5 tells us, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. And the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 9.23 and 24, thus says the Lord, let the wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. You see, what we come to today is the response of men to a baby who will be king. And herein lies the amazing contrast of our passage this morning between those who knew the answers and those who acted on the little they knew and continued to receive God's blessing, guiding, and protecting. How much more ought we take the time to consider with awe and wonder and worship at Christmas and throughout the year, the entrance of our Saviour, the promised Messiah, 
God in flesh appearing. And I want to contrast the humility of the circumstances before we get into this part of the passage with who it was that came in that humble form. In Revelation 4, 8 to 11, we read, We've got that wireless glitch. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Do you want to put that slide up? Yep, the next one. Yep, some glitches still. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever, and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created. And then in Revelation 5, 8, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb each one holding a lamp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to look, take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was myriad of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. shock and awe of the fullness of his authority. Now it's intriguing, uh, unlike the events in he heaven, the birth of Jesus, the entrance of God in flesh appearing was very humble. Some might even consider them humiliating. A king born in a manger, and that's the slide I was going to show you on Christmas Day. That's a manger, not that. <laughs> it was a stone trough in, in the Middle East in those days. A lowly animal feeding trough 
in a stable which could have looked like this, a place where sheep lay, who was there to bow down, who was there to bow down to worship and adore him. It's intriguing, Matthew writing to Jews included the story of the wise men who were Gentiles coming from the east because they saw the star, while Luke writing to Gentiles includes the story of the Jewish shepherds, outcast Jews who saw and heard the angels. And these are the only records of these events because Mark and John don't record his birth at all. John begins his gospel with this observation in John 1, 10, and, uh, 10 to 12. There was the true light which was coming into the world, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. This Christmas season, or post-Christmas season, if you like, will you bow before him and give him his due? You see, Matthew informs his readers that even at Jesus' birth, the religious teachers who knew the most failed to act on the truth, while pagans whom one would never expect to come to the Jewish Messiah did just that. Stephen Cole says, the magi or wise men in the Christmas story can teach us how to be wise men and women. For we find the magi seeking the Messiah. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, what Matthew tells us regards something that happened after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, perhaps up to 18 months after. And notice the place, Bethlehem, a small village on the southern outskirts of Jerusalem. By the way, Bethlehem... Uh, up until recent, uh, recent decades, had 80% of its population were Christians. Now they say there's less than 15%. They've been pushed out uh, by the, uh, uh, the, the Muslims that are very anti. The name Bethlehem is Beit Lechem, which means house of bread. It was the birthplace of Boaz and later King David. It was a small rural village of about 300 people located four to five miles south of Jerusalem. Bethlehem was the ancestral home of David, the great king of Israel and founder of their royal dynasty. However, it was not a large or significant town except for the prophecy from Micah that the Messiah descendant of David would be born there. And you notice the times, it's in the days of Herod the king Bob Utley notes that Herod the Great was a jealous, paranoid Idumean, that is an Edomite, ruler installed by the Romans. Herod was not the rightful king from the line of David. In fact, he was not even a descendant of Jacob, but was descended from Esau and thus was an Edomite, an Idumean who was half Jewish and half Jordanian. Don Carson notes he was wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal and excellent administrator and clever enough to remain in the good graces of successive Roman emperors. His famine relief was superb and his building projects, including the temple, and you can go and see the remains of those still today, begun in 20 BC, were admired even by his foes. But he loved power, inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on the people and resented the fact that many Jews 
considered him a usurper. In his last years, suffering an illness that compounded his paranoia, he turned to cruelty and in fits of rage and jealousy killed close associates. It's a dangerous time. And the Magi make a journey of honour. Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The story of the wise men or Magi is one of the most interesting and captivating accounts recorded in the Bible. Countless Christmas cards, carols and plays present the story of their journey to see Jesus, the one born of the Jews. But who were the Magi? They were stargazers from the east. They studied astronomy, astrology, philosophy, religion and sorcery, among other things. Yet they travelled almost a thousand miles or 1,600 kilometres to worship the newborn king of the Jews. Their exact identity is impossible to determine, though several ideas have been suggested. The phrase magi, or wise men, comes from the Greek magoi, which is translated, transliterated into magi in English. They lived in the 7th century BC in the Median Empire, which eventually became part of the Persian Empire. They later spread into Babylonia, Arabia and other countries. Being from the east, they would have been among Jews who were exiled from Judah and Israel centuries before. They were priests who were dressed in all white, offered sacrifices, developed occult powers and used divining rods for purposes. Doesn't sound like your usual candidate for acknowledging God. They studied and practiced astronomy, astrology, philosophy and religion steeped in superstition, sorcery, soothsaying, conjuring and dream interpretation, a practice mentioned in the book of Daniel during the time of uh, the Babylonian Empire. You read in Daniel 1.20, as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. But the one thing that they had was the writings of Daniel. And remember, Daniel had been prominent as a ruler in the Babylonian Empire that God placed there by his providence. And so as they studied other things, they may well have studied the writings of Daniel and, and other writings related to Jewish traditions. As astronomers who practiced astrology, they believed the stars and planets influenced human life. David Levy notes that this marvelous story of the Magi reveals how God worked to announce Messiah's birth to the Gentile world and presents a wonderful illustration of men from an ungodly culture desiring to know and worship the one true God. God stirred the Magi's hearts to seek and to find the king of the Jews, just as he called Abraham to leave his home country of Ur and go to a land that he promised to show him. And God promises that anyone who earnestly seeks will find him. You see that there in Jeremiah 29:13, saying to the people of Israel, though, but it still applies broadly. Jesus applied it later. You will seek me, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. They came to the area and expected to find answers in Jerusalem. 
It was natural. It suggests they went around the city questioning everyone they met. They expected that the leaders and people of this capital city of the Jews would be even more interested than they were. But the wise men are about to find out that this wasn't the case at all. They say this one has been born king of the Jews. It's actually, if you think about it, it's actually strange for a baby to be born a king. Usually they are princes for a long time before they become kings. Um, but he's been born king of the Jews. And we find that they were led by a star, the star of wonder. For we saw his star in the east and come to worship him. John MacArthur notes that it could not have been a supernova or a conjunction of planets as some modern theory suggests because of the way the star moved and settled over one place. It's more likely a supernatural reality like the Shekinah that glided, guided the Israelites in the days of Moses. When an angel announced Christ's birth to the shepherds, it says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. The Magi were clear in this purpose, in their purpose. Notice what they said, we have come to worship him. Who are they coming to worship? A baby. But a baby who's born king of the Jews through whom God was going to bless all the nations of the world. That question and that statement creates a stir. There's trouble at the palace. Word reaches Herod that the Magi have come to town seeking a newly born king of the Jews so that they may worship him. And as a result, Herod trembles. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and old Jerusalem with him. Why old Jerusalem? Well, people love political stability. You don't want to upset the king because that'll upset your life, right? Uh, it'll bring trouble. They knew what Herod was like. As David Levy says, the word troubled means Herod was shaken to the very core. Herod the Great was paranoid and suspicious, mistrusting everyone around him, especially when it came to his position as king. His insecurity led him to murder three of his sons, his wife Mariamne, and 300 of his officers. So the citizens of Jerusalem understandably feared his brutality. But he's given a prophecy lesson. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. I told you it was no surprise. They had it there if they'd only understood. When the words of these things came around, they should have said, aha, here. But, uh, and they said, uh, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you will come forth a ruler who would shepherd my people Israel. The Magi's inquiry fed Herod's paranoia of a competing king, so he took action and has a prophecy Bible study in the palace. Sadly, these religious leaders or scholars had the right information but seem personally uninterested in meeting the Messiah for themselves. From this passage in Micah, they understood not only that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, 
but also that he would be a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. They knew their Bibles and spoke truth to Herod, but they did not join the Magi on their journey of, uh, uh, journey of wisdom. They knew it all, but they did nothing about it. What Herod does is game playing. Verse 7, Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when they have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him, not kill him. But <laughs> that was a ruse. He summons the wise men to find out just when the star appeared. Notice he does so in secret. He feigns interest to come and worship him. But it's a plot to determine what child might be the threat. He sends them on to Bethlehem. It's a cunning, deceptive and diabolical move, a plan to kill any possible threat by having all the major children, you'll find out later, under two years old killed. By the way, when we think about that, we think of, you know, like it might have been like in Jerusalem, hundreds of children. It was probably only perhaps around 20 because there was only five or 600 people in Bethlehem in that time. That brings us to the second part and the most important part. We've had a hint of it already. And we find the wise men worshipping. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. The magi were amazed and overjoyed to see the star appear to guide them again, not only to Bethlehem, but also to the exact house where Jesus dwelt. And it says there's great rejoicing. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. These Gentile sorcerers and magicians had diligently sought for Christ. Now, what a difference. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. They have found the child. They have discovered what God had led them on this journey for. And unlike Herod and all the Jewish religious leaders and the rest of Jerusalem, they are delighted at being led to the Christ child. We find them engaging in sacrificial worship. After coming into the house, they saw uh, the baby child with Mary, his mother. Now you notice they're in a house now. They're no longer in the stable. Possibly some of the other visitors who had shared that house and there wasn't room for them have moved on. And now they're living with relatives in, in, in the house. And he's a young child, possibly between 6 and 18 months old. Interestingly, he's with Mary. There's no mention of Joseph, who was probably working, out working at the time. And you notice the humility and honour. These were revered men in their cultures. They were educated men beyond uh, the norm. Uh, they were looked up to as wise men, as scholars. But look at what they do. After coming into the house, they saw the child and they fell to the ground and worshipped him, thereby submitting to his authority as king. The wise men worshipped Jesus. That was the intent of their coming. Jesus, uh, to worship Jesus, not Mary or Joseph. It must have been a curious sight to see these impressive dignitaries bowing before a young child. 
and they bring gifts fit for a king. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Not uh, gold, frankincense and smurfs, as one boy, young boy was heard to say. After adoring him, they opened their treasures and gave Jesus gifts specifically fit for a king in that, of that day. In scripture, gold symbolizes God's deity, glory and majesty. Frankincense symbolizes the fragrance of Jesus' life. And myrrh, which was placed on him in his death, symbolizes Christ's sacrifice, death and burial. These were gifts worthy of a king, and this act by Gentile leaders pictures the wealth of the nations which will someday be completely given to the Messiah. John Piper says, Worshipping Jesus means joyfully, joyfully ascribing authority and dignity to Christ with sacrificial gifts. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Have you been in awe and wonder as we've celebrated and remembered the things of Jesus' coming? These wise men got it. It's not just about festivity and fun. It's not about blessings for us. It is about the fact that God gave the greatest blessing of all, that we should worship and adore him. Now, at the end of the story, of course, we find that they're guarded by God and having been warned by God in a dream that in some of your translations by God is in italics, which means it's not actually in the Greek, but the implication is there. Uh, the, where else did the dream come from? But not to return to Herod. The Magi left for their own country by another way. As David Levy notes, before the Magi left, God warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So they departed for their own country another way. And obedient yet again, they heed what they are told. You know, we read the word of God, do we heed it? Do we live by it? Do we obey it? William MacDonald notes this, no one who meets Christ with a sincere heart ever returns the same way. Because if you go back the same way, you're going back to the old things. A true encounter with him transforms all of life. We can learn many lessons from the story of the Magi. First, God included the most unlikely Gentiles in revealing the birth of his son to the world, reminding us that God is no respecter of persons and desires all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. Second, God guided the wise men to Bethlehem in a miraculous way which teaches us of God's power. And third, God orchestrated every aspect of the affairs of man to accomplish his will, reminding us of his sovereignty. You see, there is hope for Christmas when you find the light in the darkest of nights. John Piper says, may God take the truth of this text 
and waken in us a desire for Christ himself. May we say from the heart, Lord Jesus, you are the Messiah, the King of Israel. All nations will come and bow before you. God wills the world to see that you are worshipped. Therefore, whatever opposition I may find, I joyfully ascribe authority and dignity to you and bring my gift to say that you alone can satisfy my heart. Not these things. The Magi were eager to see the Messiah. And as R.C. Sproul says, we should be eager to see him as well. This involves not only coming to him in our conversion, but also seeking his face in every day of our lives. Though we will not see the fullness of his glory until we see him face to face in heaven, we will nonetheless come to a fuller appreciation of this glory as we study his word and pray to him. Let us be diligent, in the, he says, in this means of grace. I pray you will echo the wisdom of the Magi and confess Jesus' authority over your life in the words of the Christmas hymn, Who is he in yonder stall? Who is he in yonder stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Who is he in deep distress fasting in the wilderness? Tis the Lord, a wondrous story. Tis the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him. Crown him, Lord of all. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, in so many of the encounters that we have shared this Christmas, angels had to appear to men. The shining glory of your light in the star the glory that shone around the angels as the shepherds bow. And as we read, placed in that, uh, in that manger, really it became the holy of holies. Uh, what a tremendous gift that you have given. But Father, we pray that we would not be like those, like Herod or those in Jerusalem who even knew the truth but didn't bother about it didn't want to see and come and worship. For they feared worldly issues more than they did the reality of your authority. And Father, we come to the time that we can see that we are rapidly entering the, the very last of the last days, where we see the signs of your coming drawing very near. And we pray that you would help us not to waste those times, waste the days and opportunities that we have in the trivialness of this world, but to be consumed with hunger to be truly wise. <laughs>